All right. Greetings, friends. My name is Wes Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. It's Monday, May 22nd, 2023 at Asia Markets Close. And welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. Today, more of the same as, as of late. The Chinese yuan continues to fall as the PBOC leaves loan prime rates unchanged as expected, but also falls despite the central banks surprisingly attempting to jawbone a bit of strength into the currency but to little avail. And then over to Japan, the Nikkei index closing above 31,000 for now its eighth straight close in the in the green. Uh, it's up about 90% on the year. So how much farther do Japan equities have to run to the upside, if at all? So we're going to take a look at that, specifically at the foreign inflows part of it. Okay, so first, China. So China, one-year and five-year loan prime rates are left unchanged at 3.65% and 43 4.3% respectively. Those are both in line with expectations. Basically, what these are, these one-year loan prime rate, LPR, that pertains to medium-term corporate and household loans. And then the five-year LPR is a reference for mortgages. And again, both of these were kept unchanged. Um, and this is widely expected because the PBOC had kept their MLF rate on hold at 2.75%. Just last week, and those MLF rates um, and you know the movement of those or, or the unchanging of those is basically a guidance for these LPR rates that came in today. So all of that was just in line with kind of standard policy behavior. What was a bit odd, however, and kind of unexpected, was that on Friday of last week, when the PBOC had put out an official statement regarding the recent fall in the yuan in which they had said, quote, they will strengthen market expectation guidance and take actions to correct pro-cyclical and one-way behaviors when necessary. And then you could see that market reaction, um, you know, this immediate knee-jerk support to the yuan, uh, which had already breached that seven level, although that kind of support of the yuan was very short-lived, given that today we are back to, uh, you know, new lower levels on the yuan or new higher levels on dollar yuan. The reason that this was a surprise, this kind of announcement, right, effective or otherwise, was because the PBOC, they, they made this warning, even though earlier in the day, they had already set the upper trading band of the daily yuan fixing at, what was it, 7.17 on Friday, prior to making this official announcement. You know, in fact, ever since dollar yuan broke the seven handle last week, the PBOC daily fixing hasn't necessarily been like an outright vehement push to strengthen the currency, although obviously they're leaning towards supporting it rather than not in the daily fixings. Right. So, you know, you have Simon Harvey, who was head of FX um, at Monix Europe, saying, quote, they aren't happy with the pace of depreciation in the currency, given the marginal developments in the fundamentals. So. Despite this like strange half-measured jawbone attempt by the PBOC, um, we're seeing a fresh round of Wall Street price targets come out over the weekend um, on the yuan in light of all of this deteriorating macro data that I've been flagging as of late um, and going over, you know, coming out of China. Okay, so here are some of the newly updated price targets. We have Goldman calling for dollar CNY to hit 7.1 in three months. City is at 7.2. Nomura is at 7.3 by July. Sockgen is at 7.3 by year end. What those revisions are for, you know, dollar yuan upside 
is acknowledgement that the broader China economic recovery or the economic picture is not as strong as um, it seemed, you know, when they had made their prior price targets on the yuan. Now, the other side of the argument, okay, or an alternative explanation for the yuan's recent crushing is just a very simple and straightforward one, right? This is USD strength rather than CNY weakness that's driving the dollar yuan cross. And look, sounds fair enough, okay? So let's take a look. First, it first of all, it depends on where you're measuring from, right? So year to date, yeah, the yuan versus the dollar is somewhat holding up. It's underperforming some FX pairs and outperforming others. Um, month to date, it's a different story. But still, it still seems more or less in line with like a falling euro or a rising dollar, right? So, yeah, I guess that argument, you know, is, is valid. However, year to date and month to date, those are, just generally speaking, those are very arbitrary timelines to use. Okay, so let's go from specific points, such as when dollar yuan, which had been fairly stable and steady from call it mid-March to mid-May, had begun its current leg of downside decline and then through the seven handle as one after another, you know, data point came in as a big miss to expectations on many fronts. Let's just measure from that point, from when the yuan started to crack, okay? So if you look at that chart, the yuan is on a clear decline, but so is everything else. So yes, there's some dollar strength in there, but relative to the other majors, how's it doing? Poorly. The only major currency pair among these that I've pulled up for, for this chart um, is the yen the Japanese yen. So that's dollar strength and yen idiosyncratic weakness that's happening with that fall, that particular precipitous fall in the yen. Okay. So what's with the yen? Well, I'm not going to get into the whole thing now, right? But just as a very simple uh, comment on price action, the yen's decline seems to be happening in tandem with the Nikkei rallying as per this chart where I've added the Nikkei index futures inverted in yellow. Okay. So when that yellow is going down, that's the Nikkei index going up. And so the directional behavior of the Nikkei matches up quite well with dollar-yen. So let's take the yen and also its kind of idiosyncratic weaknesses out of this chart. And now what do we have? Well, the yuan is indeed underperforming. Um, what's especially notable is the Aussie dollar cross, which can sometimes be, you know, sort of like a cousin of the yuan in terms of price action, given how intertwined the two economies fundamentally are in terms of things like raw material trade and, and amongst many other things, right? But the yuan and the Aussie dollar, they're falling together. They're falling together directionally and percentage-wise and in pattern-wise, right? As this slew of bad data out of China, you know, started to come out in the last like two weeks or so, right? Um, but the yuan clearly looks to be leading the Aussie dollar to the downside. And its kind of recovery bounce has left the yuan now diverging in relative performance to the Aussie dollar. And so if AUD is falling due to a weak picture in China, then I think it's fair to say that the Chinese yuan would likely be impacted by the weak picture in China as well. And obviously more directly so. Okay? So is the dollar yuan cross rate moving on US dollar strength? Absolutely. Is it also moving on China's economic weakness being priced in? Absolutely. And ultimately, if it were just like a dollar strength matter, okay, then you wouldn't get the PBOC 
to make an official statement on Friday in alert of a declining yuan. For whatever reason, it, it is declining or perceived to be declining, right? Be it fundamentals or speculative flows, as the PBOC says. Either way, it's official acknowledgement that of yuan-specific weakness that's being addressed. That's what that action on Friday says. It's not dollar weakness. It's a yuan-specific downside move, okay? One last point on the yuan. As per my last episode on the yuan, and it's kind of remarkably tight price action correlation with things like copper and how those things are, the reason that those charts, you know, correlate and align, they're happening independent and coincidentally with one another, right? So I just want to point out this Bloomberg article talking about the weakness in LME copper price action due to fading optimism of a China rebound. Okay, so again, as I said, independent and coincidental to yuan price action but nonetheless they're both reacting and they're, they're reacting to and reflecting the same thing the overall dim economic picture out of china okay now on to the other part of asia that seems to be the polar directional opposite in terms of like international market sentiment and activity the bull market that's still underway in the japan equity markets okay so the nikkei 225 index and the topics index so the Nikkei 225 index, okay, and now, now we're clear through that 30K level that I had been flagging relentlessly, and we just closed today above 31,000, um, and again, this is the eighth straight day of gains, so it's basically up 6.75% over that period since over the last eight days, um, and that eight-day win streak, that began with the Nikkei just above 29,000, and again, we closed above 31,000 today. So the broader base topics index over that same period is up 4.3%, okay, versus the Nikkei 6.75%. So you have the price-weighted Nikkei 225 index that's outperforming, and it's led by semiconductor-related heavyweights by and large. Things like, uh, you know, names like Tokyo Electron and LaserTech, both of which are up 20% over these past eight trading days. Now, meanwhile, the other Nikkei index heavyweights, the larger ones, such as fast retailing, Okay, aka Uniqlo and SoftBank, those are up nine percent and are flat respectively over that same period. Okay, so SoftBank, you know, having reported their Q4 and full year earnings during that time with a massive, like you know, record losses in the revision fund and all that, it's just not contributing to the upside um, on Nikkei. Okay, now we need to be careful about how we're measuring and assessing the Japan equity upside. Yes, obviously we should be looking at absolute levels like thirty thousand as well as, you know, its specific idiosyncrasies and nuances that are rallying the price upwards. But we also need to look at it in context of other major DM um, global markets and indices um, as a relative comparison, just as we just did with the yuan currency performance, okay? And we do that to try to determine how much of the Nikkei upside is actually like Japan and how much is a broad-based global equity rally. In other words, we're measuring relative outperformance, and if if that relative outperformance is accelerating, is it stalling, or what have you? That's what that's what I'm really intrigued by, okay, and interested in looking at. So, the latest out of Wall Street price target revisions, right, from today, we have Bank of America calling for Nikkei at thirty three thousand five hundred at year end. Okay, so that's basically eight percent upside from current levels. And meanwhile, simultaneously, Bank of America is calling for their S&P target that they've raised from 4,000. They've now raised it to 4,300. Okay, so that's basically 2.6% upside from current. 
So you have Bank of America calling for 8% upside um, in the Nikkei and 2.6% current uh, upside in S&P 500 um, is, is their latest simultaneous calls out from today. Okay, so according to B of A, this would indeed be continued Japan-specific outperformance, at least relative to the U.S. Um, now, the reason that measuring against SPX specifically, against U.S. stocks matters, um, is because this Japan rally has, by and large, been almost entirely pushed by foreign inflows into Japan stocks. Um, and actually, Japan domestic, right, both institutional and retail, have, by and large, been either been sidelined non-participants in this current rally or they've been net sellers into the upside especially around you know that 30k level so i'm also what i'm doing is i'm looking at the relative performance of nikkei versus spx okay so that's this top chart right here just to that i also have the nikkei to spx ratio if you will okay or the you know basically the long nikkei futures short e-minis um that's the bottom chart in the white line blue shaded area that ratio chart, okay? And so with the Nikkei to SPX ratio chart, that's basically showing, you know, recent upside breakout in tandem with the Nikkei standalone upside breakout, okay? While SPX has been standstill during that recent time period. So that is indeed Japan rallying despite SPX not rallying or not really moving at all. And given that this move is, once again, foreign flow pushed, then perhaps it's Japan rallying at the expense of SPX flows that are now relatively dormant. Um, and if that's the case, then that would feed into some of the more you know, common Japan bull cases being thrown around out there as of late, that on a relative basis, Japan isn't facing imminent recession risk. Japan has easy monetary policy. There's no domestic banking crisis, um, as well as just better fundamental upside via, you know, robust earnings beats, shareholder returns, dividends, buybacks, and so on and so forth. Um, corporate governance reform that's underway. Um, and then, of course, cheap valuations, again, relatively speaking. And if you look at a broader timeline of this SPX versus Nikkei and this, SP, um, this, this Nikkei to, to SPX ratio, right, you'll notice two things. Number one, first of all, last year in 2022, when equities everywhere globally were just getting pummeled down double digits, Japan was not getting destroyed like everywhere else was in 2022, okay? In case you didn't notice that. Second point is, even though the Nikkei and Topics indices have indeed broken out to like 30-year highs recently, the Nikkei to SPX ratio has not broken out to 30-year highs. In fact, the ratio chart just now is approaching a potential breakout level, but one from just very recently, from last year. and But it's not even quite there yet. Okay. Then also, we need to consider the Japan returns, like the Japan equity returns, in USD terms, and not just in absolute yen terms. Okay. Particularly given the huge FX swings in dollar-yen over the last year. Okay, so the Nikkei may be hitting three-decade highs in yen terms, but in USD terms, it's hitting one-year high levels in terms of performance, right? And this difference in performance, depending on which currency you're denominating your returns in, that can very well be, um, in large part, why foreigners, especially USD-based investors, 
why there's such a huge split between these foreigners who are aggressively bullish in contrast to the JPY investors who are super cautious at the time being. Because for one group, the Nikkei isn't on this runaway ridiculous momentum breakout. And yet for another, it can certainly seem like it with the Nikkei now back at the scary lofty bubble levels of early you know 1990s. And the last time we were here, things ended very badly, right? So that divergence in, you know, if you look at it from what's the, what's the, the denomination of the base currency and what the performance is based on that, that divergence could be in part, you know, an explanation as to why there are almost two different mentalities when they're looking at what should be the same chart of the Nikkei, just, you know, going higher, right? And the, and the sort of sentiment and the willingness to buy into the strength uh, as opposed to selling into it. Um, now, here's some context regarding the foreign flow behavior into Japan equities. So the latest Japan balance of, tra- uh, balance of payments data p- published shows that, so despite the recent record inflows of you know, foreign capital into Japan equities, from the period of time from January to March of this year, foreigners were net sellers of Japan equities um, by $3.5 trillion during the first quarter of the year, okay? And within that, there were five consecutive weeks of net selling by foreigners to the tune of 4.2 trillion in outflows out of Japan equities over that time that went right into the end of March, okay? And then since then, starting in April, there have been seven consecutive weeks of net buying by foreigners and that those seven consecutive weeks total to 6.2 trillion of inflows over those seven consecutive weeks. Okay, so one can say that if you just look at that net selling streak combined with the subsequent subsequent net buying streak, then on balance, foreigners have essentially bought back, if you will, the 4.2 trillion that they sold to just get back to neutral in notional value traded. Um, and then from there, th- from that point, that's when they start to, you know, become net buyers to roughly, uh, you know, about 2 trillion notional in Japan equities. Okay. So, it, you know, with that context, the inflows are, are really just about one third of what the recent consecutive streak is, like the net inflows of buying, right? Because you have basically 4 trillion sold then 6 trillion bought back. Right, but that first four trillion bought back is just neutralizing the four trillion previously sold. Therefore, despite this huge Japan breakout rally fueled by massive foreign inflows, there really haven't been like you know as much net buy flows expressing new longs as much as it might seem. Um, most of it thus far has just been neutralizing a very recent active underweight stance. Uh, I actually did a very sort of sloppy and simple overlay of the Ford stock investment um, into Japan chart, uh, and I just put the SPX to Nikkei ratio chart over that same period underneath it um, just to match up the time frames. And you could see that in March, the Nikkei's outperformance, the SPX, that took a sharp reversal downwards. Okay, In other words, Nikkei now is now underperforming SPX to the downside. That is coinciding with those five straight weeks of net foreign selling of Japan equities. And then for the current Nikkei uh, to SPX ratio rally, that's also coinciding with the flip 
of now foreigners becoming going from net sellers to now massive net buyers, and just as that ratio flips and breaks out, right? So, despite Nikkei's kind of almost seemingly bulletproof resilience at the moment, at least for this very moment, from a flow perspective, it may not be as overbought as it might seem. Okay, and by overbought, I don't mean on like a you know an RSI signal or something like that. I mean by overbought, I mean how much more potential firepower is left out there to actually go long Japan. Foreigners just turned net buyers after net selling in Q1 heavily, and Japan domestic capital, which is massive in its own right, is by and large not even involved yet. And they may be forced to be involved in buying Japan equities if this continues off the back of foreigners. Um, and if, you know, because if that happens and Japan domestic managers find themselves underweight their home base and are underperforming at that because they're owning foreign equities instead of Japan companies and they're also taking FX risks to do so or are hedging their FX risk and therefore eating away at their already dismal gains, you can see repatriated FOMO of Japan Japanese capital back into Japan chasing the already positioned foreign flows um, further upwards, okay? So my overall takeaway on the Japan equity market rally as of now, is it time for a pullback? Yeah, of course, it, uh, and it's always a time for a pullback, right? But can the rally last? Yes, of course it can, okay? Small pullbacks aside, which haven't yet occurred, and I would expect there to be one at some point, but small pullbacks aside, my view is as it currently stands, as long as global equities continue to kind of ignore like macro headwinds, be it U.S. debt ceiling, China de deterioration or what have you, um, or perhaps because of those very macro headwinds, ex-Japan, uh, right? But either way, as long as global DM equities don't crash for whatever reason, the Japan equity rally has legs in my view. If global markets crash, Japan won't be immune, obviously. But I also, at the same time, don't see a Japan-only equity market crash while all other global DM markets are rising or are flat. Um, and then within that thesis, I think that there's also a fairly good chance that we may be currently undergoing the once every decade or so massive Japan equity breakout rallies that we get. You know, so like a once every decade sort of occurrence, more or less, right? Um, and those you know, don't ever end so well, obviously. But until it does end, those can surprise you by just how far they can go. Okay, so that's how I'm currently looking at it right now. Um, final point, there was a article out by Bloomberg recently talking about how implied volatility uh, on the Nikkei has jumped as the Nikkei is also moving upwards. And it says the surge in Japanese stocks to more than 30 year highs this week has been accompanied by an unusual phenomenon, a spike in volatility. So if you watched my interview and my discussion with Takakato, you know, of uh, formerly of head of trading at Bitflyer and, you know, Japan macro guru, um, we had this discussion, what was it like two weeks ago or so? And he makes this very point. And how this is absolutely not like an unusual phenomenon where you know that you can get Nikkei upside, like like significant upside, because strangely, the Nikkei implied volatility curve, right, basically can invert, which would normally be a downside signal for equity indices elsewhere, like, on the, you know, the SPX, 
But that's actually an upside sort of signal for the broader index to start a breakout rally. This has happened. This phenomenon happens like you know every now and then. This might be one of those times. Okay, if we look at um, Nikkei implied volatility via just just looking at the you know the Nikkei volatility index, you can see a spike in Nikkei vol, and that's happening alongside a spike in the index in the underlying index. Um, if I zoom out kind of further or go, go backwards, okay, this is the basically the early days of Kuroda. Um, that first yellow line up, that is Nikkei implied vol rising. That's going into the kind of you know Abenomics is coming sort of like Kuroda coming run up, and then in 2014 that second yellow line that's straight upwards. That's the surprise Kuroda bazooka round two um, in October. Uh, of uh, 2014 that had occurred and the subsequent rise in Nikkei volatility, right? So we discussed this, um, uh, Takahato and I would discuss this, you know, about this phenomenon of Nikkei vol rising alongside the index rising, right? And how, how it's a very strange phenomenon, right? Like how um, it's basically what I say is it's kind of like the VIX rallying alongside the S&P rally, right? But this is underway, right? And so therefore you're getting a potential signal that, as Taka says, the Nikkei can crash to the upside in this scenario. And that's exactly what I mean by this sort of once in a decade, much further than expected sort of rally that might be underway right now. This is kind of the setup for it. Okay. May very well not happen, but these are the kind of the, the sowing seeds for that to be occurring. All right. So that's it for now. Tuesday, this week, we have Japan PMI. Nobody cares. Wednesday, RBNZ rate decision, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand's rate decision. Thursday, we have the Bank of Korea rate decision. And Thursday, we also have the CBRT, the uh, the, the Turkish Central Bank uh, rate decision. This is ahead of the runoff vote of Erdogan that I was mentioning, discussing, you know, a few episodes back. Um, you have dollar lira USD TRY just about to break or breaking into printing the 20 handle. Um, and... So therefore, if you get significant volatility in the lira, as I mentioned, that might that volatility might either cause a pullback in the Nikkei or might accelerate further upside in the Nikkei. Uh, all the same, um, depending on how which way it goes. Okay, but either way, those things are very much connected, and so keep an eye on those uh, potential catalysts for uh, potential you know broader cross asset market impact. Okay, on behalf of Blockworks Macro, my name is Wes Nakamura. Thank you for following Market Depth, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye.